We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast from San Diego. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, October 3rd, 2022, as this episode is released. And the Chicago White Sox just wrapped up their final road series of 2022 in San Diego. And impressively, they won that series, stealing two games from the playoff-bound Padres. We'll recap that series, preview the final series of 2022, as the White Sox will face the Minnesota Twins at home. Will this be the last games we watch Jose Abreu in a White Sox uniform? But first, as it has been the most talked-about topic in the 2022 season, by far, Tony LaRussa. According to Bob Nightingale of USA, USA Today in his column on Sunday, today, Monday, October 3rd, LaRussa is expected to announce his second retirement from managing, this time from the Chicago White Sox due to health reasons. Joining me now is the managing editor of the Sox, of SoxMachine.com and co-host of the Sox Machine podcast. It's Jim Margulis, and Jim, later on today, Monday, it seems we can finally close this short chapter of White Sox baseball that never should have happened, and it totally dragged on. Or can we? What? Expected to. <laughs> no, just expected to, you know, reportedly just, you know, when it comes to the White Sox being weird with managers, like, you know, we've talked about before, it's one thing for La Russa to retire from managing. It's another thing for him to be completely out of the organization, like, I don't know if it helps if he's booted upstairs and is just hanging out with Jerry Reinsdorf and his owner suite the entire time and just being in his ear. So, you know, as much as it might be welcome news for him to retire, I would just like to make sure, confirm that there is no role for him in the organization going forward between before I like completely pop the champagne. So you need to go into the morgue, pull the body out of the chiller and to see this is finally the end of Tony DeRusa's managerial tenure and his relationship or employment with the Chicago White Sox. That is what you are waiting for. Final confirmation, Jim. 
Yes, because the White Sox don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. Like they're going to be weird. Like uh, you know, they have the the discussion or the you know the Bob Nightingale column and other articles written about it have pivoted to you know what's the White Sox managerial search going to do? Like what? Who are possible candidates? Where is it going to lead? It's like my question is: Will the White Sox actually do a search? Like that's still the question. Above all else, is you know, will the White Sox conduct themselves like a normal team until they prove that they can? I'm going to say they won't. So that's uh, you know, first step here is you know, confirm the retirement, and confirm that he won't have some kind of role where you can still blame him maybe for weird behavior or, you know, just what have you coming from the White Sox ownership suite. And I guess we can say that this is coming from the White Sox because it's Bob Nightingale. Bob Nightingale does not have a great reputation throughout Major League Baseball, especially with other fan bases. But with the Chicago White Sox, we have to follow him. We have to read everything that he writes. We have to listen to him because of who his sources are within the Chicago White Sox. And I think even John Greenberg of The Athletic tweeted that it was great of Bob to let him know that there's a press conference with Tony La Russa tomorrow because the beat reporters mm-hmm. had not heard a single thing from the White Sox, and they're all in San Diego this weekend. So now they have to fly back home late Sunday uh, back to Chicago and get prepared in what will be expected to be maybe the second or biggest press conference, depending on how the White Sox handle uh, their upcoming press conferences of the year with Larusa leaving. Mm-hmm. That just seems really odd to me that the White Sox were not going to make any announcement until like Monday morning that, oh, hey, by the way, Larusa is going to jump on a Zoom with you guys and it's going to be at three o'clock central time. Or like, you know, just maybe, you know, in person, if it's in person, who's going to be there? Like, is it just going to be La Russa talking about himself and nobody else like saying like, you know, um, you know, expressing uh, pity or just, you know, regrets or, you know, a, a path forward? You know, is it going to be just, you know, La Russa and Jerry Reinsdorf talking to Bob Nightingale and nobody else communicating a thing? It very well could be. And I'm kind of half expecting it's only Tony Russa in the Zoom call. And he's the only one answering questions to the beat. And it's going to be a lot about his health and why he's stepping away from the game again. Is it a Zoom call or is it in person? Because I thought Nightingale said in Chicago. Well, if uh, we're, conference. Okay, okay, so I guess that's a good point. And the reason I assume it's yeah. a Zoom because... If Tony is with his doctors, his doctors are in Arizona. So why would he fly to Chicago to make this announcement in the year 2022 when you could just hop on a Zoom call? Yeah, maybe he's got like an apartment to clean he's out, <laughs> clean out. <laughs> paperwork to sign, etc. Like, you know, that could be the case. Oh, I guess. Yeah, you do have to file retirement papers, don't you? In baseball. Yeah, let me see. Let me just. I thought it was a case where, yeah, it was in Chicago. If if it's in Chicago, then that leaves very little excuses to not have at least one of Kenny Williams or Rick Hahn. Now, will they answer questions from the media? Who knows? I think most attention is going to be on La Russa and celebrating his quote-unquote tremendous career, his Hall of Fame career, as manager and how unfortunate 
this is that the circumstances with his heart and his health prevent him from managing in 2023. Probably, but it would be nice if, you know, Rick Hahn were there, somebody, an adult from the White Sox, uh, who, you know, unless, you know, Hahn is not going to be employed, then maybe there's no point in him being there because, like, you know, what's he going to talk about? The plans for the next three days? Like, so, who knows? I mean, I'm not counting on any heads rolling aside from LaRusse's and even him, you know, like, it sounds like it's his call or his doctor's call if he really, you know, and, and I don't really care to say, like, you know, whether this is, true or a way out, what have you, whether he could ultimately come back from this, you know, with an off season of rest and adhering to doctor's plans. But, you know, just, it does seem like a, a way out as well. Lance Lynn was asked after his start against San Diego on Sunday regarding Tony La Russa as Lance Lynn started his career under Tony La Russa in St. Louis. And Lynn said, quote, he's had a hell of a career. He's a Hall of Fame manager. He's had a great run. But when it comes to an end where you don't really get to choose it because of health, it's never the way anybody wants to end anything, end quote. And again, LaRusa did walk away as a champion mm-hmm. with the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. <laughs> he had his dream ending, the, the ending that everybody wants, no matter what your profession is, to end going out on top. LaRusa had that. He decided or got talked into being the White Sox manager and walking away from that, hoping to duplicate that, and that rarely happens, and that is most definitely not going to happen. LaRusse's managerial career ends with being swept at home by a really mediocre Arizona Diamondbacks team. That's that's how LaRusse's managerial career ends. Yeah, it's... You know, a little bit like Michael Jordan, you know, coming back for the Wizards, except maybe it'd be like Phil Jackson if he coached the Timberwolves or something like that nine years after, you know, the uh, final championship with the Bulls or something like that. Like some team that just never, you know, there's no reason to update his Hall of Fame plaque. There is in a way just because like he's now second on the all-time managerial wins list than third. But I mean, like in terms of body of work, uh, reason why fans might come to Cooperstown. It's not going to be because of the, you know, the ring he just won or the, uh, you know, championships with three teams. No, it's still two, very thoroughly two. Could we have a Wolf of Wall Street moment where he steps up to the mic and changes his mind and he's not going anywhere? I don't think so. I think the doctor argument is pretty... Yeah, I, they're they're really, you know, if it is something they're leaning into to avoid like just a more public um, reckoning or a an understanding that this was just a bad idea to begin with, and they're just kind of saying, nope, it's doctors. It's you know, we would love to keep doing this, but we can't. Like, yeah, I, I think that that's the one thing about this health episode, uh, real or you know, embellished, I guess, or yeah, you know, just you. Know, exaggerate a little bit is like it's hard to come back from that it's hard to wave the doctor's note around and say you know what never mind I, I don't have to use this after all also from Bob Nightingale more candidates for the White Sox managerial opening which sounds like will be officially open after the press conference with Tony La Russa on Monday Nightingale continues to report that Bruce Bochy could be of interest to the White Sox Mike Schilt who was the former manager of the St. Louis Cardinals Joe Espada, don't tease me, Bob. Uh, Current (laughs) Detroit Tigers bench coach George Lambert, who was the first base coach of the Los Angeles Dodgers from 2015 to 2020. So Lombard knows the Dodgers system very well. 
Carlos Beltran got a paragraph in the column uh, if possibly Beltran could be of interest to the White Sox. So adding Beltran to Bochy, Schilt, Espada, Lombard. Walt Weiss was mentioned from Ken Rosenthal. We talked about Willie Harris in her previous podcast. The managerial candidates that we fear could be possibly of interest to the White Sox and hired A.J. Perzinski and Jim Tomey. Uh, as they do not have any managerial experience whatsoever, but they're ex-White Sox players, so you can't count them out. Then there's Ozzie Guillen. Mm -hmm. On Sunday's pregame show on NBC Sports Chicago, Chuck Garfine asked Ozzie if he would be interested in pursuing the job. This is what Ozzie had to say. Let me be cocky now. Mm -hmm. Nobody in baseball, in baseball, Chuck, knows this ball club better than Ozzie Guillen. No one. No one. It is going to be real for him say, Ozzy, can you do this? Because nobody, no matter who you call, what you call, if be better managers than me, better person, better whatever it is. But nobody in baseball right now knows this ball club better than Ozzy Guillen. Sorry. That's the truth. Yeah, so, and that's a fact. So maybe a phone call comes, maybe a dozen. Will you be uh, hoping a phone call comes? No, I don't. Us? I don't because I know I, I, the only three phone calls are hoping every day, four. My three kids, my wife, and now my grandkids, my grandkids, they cannot talk on the phone yet. But besides that, I'm home. I'm just like, you know what I mean? I'm sitting home like, oh, my Tony's not here. Oh, oh, my phone. oh God. No, <laughs> no, I'm not that type of person. Is that calm? I will respect the game. Yeah, yeah. I will respect the game. I will respect the organization. But in the meanwhile, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm fine where I am and do what I do. And it's something. Uh, uh, is something I don't know. And now after I see Tony fail, I'm like, oh my God, I wanna I wanna believe in uh, everybody in Chicago love me. Is I think the job I might the people start maybe start hating me. Now Ozzy's playing a bit coy, Jim, by saying he's not gonna be waiting by the phone, hoping the White Sox call him regarding the job opening, but at the same time he says that he and he makes the best possible case I think he can for himself about this particular opening, that he knows this roster better than anyone else in baseball. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. Should mm -hmm. I add Ozzie Guillen to the prospective list of White Sox managers? I don't think so. That bridge has sounded thoroughly burned, or at least, you know, Ozzie burned it. And then, you know, if he wants to rebuild it, I think Jerry Reinsdorf's uh, uh, not doing his half on the other side. It sounds pretty much like, you know, based on the way it happened last time, where Ozzie could have been a candidate and they just eliminated him right away. Um, it's hard to f try to fire your boss or get your boss fired and that boss is still there and to come back and get your old job and act as though nothing happened. Like it's a lot happened. And so it's hard to imagine uh, that ever being repaired. It's, you know, it's a shame for Ozzy just because like, had he not tried that, um, he'd probably still be managing the White Sox. Like it's hard to imagine Jerry Reinsdorf, like, you know, given everything that happened the last two years between Ozzy and Kenny and Ozzy and Jerry and Ozzy, you know, publicly discussing a salary and saying $2 million isn't enough to live on. It's, uh, he, you know, that was all him. That was all just, you know, frustration with Kenny Williams and maybe like Kenny had something to do, but you know, at least Kenny knew how to handle himself publicly in a way that like, you know, he played the public game very well and Ozzy did not. Ozzy, you know, played for it. Like he, he lit a match and it burned and he went to Florida and that kind of blew up in his face. And that was the, you know, it's, that's what happens when, you know, you have job scarcity, which major league managerial, you know, positions are, and you treat the job that could have been a lifetime appointment so callously. And so, you know, that's, I don't, I don't really, 
have any sympathy there, and I, I, I haven't for a while, especially since the White Sox, you know, everybody's still there. The damage is still evident of just how that fell apart, and the White Sox have never really gotten past that. Um, so, you know, when he says, like, I know this roster better than anybody, like, I want somebody who doesn't know the White Sox at all. <laughs> I want somebody who <laughs> doesn't try to retrofit, um, you know, better solutions onto a body that should just be thrown into the ocean. Like, that's, I, I think that's really how I look at it is just this is, you can't upgrade this. Like, you can't do firmware patches to try to get this, uh, you know, organization to a better spot. Like, no, you just need to scrap it and start all over. And so I don't want anybody knowing the White Sox well. I don't want, you know, if somebody thinks like, well, you know, you should keep Aloy, but you should get rid of Andrew Vaughn because Andrew Vaughn's taking the second half. But yeah, I don't, you know, maybe there's some value in that, like understanding, you know, watching these players closely, but there might be, yeah, I think there's more value in just having a guy that won't try to, um, you know, upgrade outmoded hardware. Like just, you know, it's, you know, it, that, you know, he also managed nine years ago. You know, his last job was actually 10 years ago. So it's a case where like, you know, he's just in terms of, um, you know, uh, you know, Tony Larusa hadn't managed in, around that time. Yeah, Ozzy has been out of the game that long. The game's changed a lot, and Ozzy sounds like he doesn't really care for the way the game has changed. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the same thing. It's the same mistake, just made with somebody who's more palatable to White Sox fans, but it'd still be a a mistake. He's got a good job. He's where he should be, based on yes, uh, the jobs he you know like. He can't be a bench coach anywhere. He doesn't want to be, but also like I just don't think he could be. Like I don't think any manager would want to take him on and be like be overshadowed. You, you don't want your team going to your bench coach for, for quotes. Like I, I think you know everybody'd want to talk to him. He'd be happy to talk to people. So it's like he can't really be a second banana anymore. And you know he's not going to go the minor league path. He can probably coach internationally if he wanted to. Um, you know take some you know winter jobs and international jobs just to try to you know prove it but otherwise like if he wants to just be gifted a job it's hard to see that ever happening again so yeah it's uh speaking for white Sox fans candidly uh in a way that you know for jerry ryan maybe the only guy who can speak that way on jerry reinsdorf's network it's probably the best situation for everybody fans included then there's Miguel Cairo, one person that i do not think will remain as manager in any circumstance for the White Sox, even though he's currently the interim manager. And I think, Jim, that Cairo's done the best job he possibly could under these terrible circumstances. And Cairo was asked before Sunday's game, after the LaRusso report came out of Bob Nigel of USA Today. Again, the beat reporters had to find this out from Nigel. So they get these quotes, and then they ask Cairo before the game his thoughts about LaRusso retiring again and what the next possible manager is walking into with the Chicago White Sox. And this is what Cairo had to say, quote, I think they got the message what there is to expect. Whoever is going to manage or whoever they're going to hire or whoever is going to be there, I know they are going to be expecting something a little different. It's going to be more people accountable for doing their job. And I think it's going to change. It's going to be a little different. It happened because you go to the playoffs two years in a row and all of a sudden you felt like you didn't make it this year. You could see what went wrong. It's going to be some people accountable for the job that they're going to do. I hope there is, end quote. 
Jim, we've heard this word accountable quite a bit this year, especially since Rick Khan's press conference after his debacle of a trade deadline. What could Cairo possibly hint at when he's speaking about people being held accountable? It's hard to know because I think there are a few different ways he could be coming about it. Like as acting manager, I get the feeling from, you know, watching him and, and listening to his conferences, like he's not fully empowered to do the job. Like he doesn't have any confidence that he's hanging around past the next week. And so like, he's, he can't really torch anybody. Like he, you know, he has a very moderate amount of power, so he's not going to be um, the guy to light uh, a fire under anybody or bench anybody or really, you know, turn over any tables because it might not be his team after Wednesday, or it might not be his organization after Wednesday, depending on what happens. So I think for me, it could be just a way to like, you know, kind of say like, yeah, this, you know, kind of like his post game media conferences when he said like, this is terrible, this is unacceptable. And then like they'd lose again. He'd say, this is terrible. This is unacceptable. And just, you know, kind of going through the same quotes, uh, the limited palette of uh, words he can use on a given night, uh, you know, in his limited role. And so he's going to use them. And so he could be leaning on accountability the same way as like a word that's good to say and people want to hear, but also like, you know, as, as strong as he can be without like overstepping the fact that, you know, he, he's not really manager. So there's that. Um, if I were thinking like in the case where he's really using it purposefully and wants people to read between lines, um, the one thing I can think of is that like, if he's looking for his next job, you know, he might be, you know, whether it's in the organization or, you know, whether it's him, you know, making a case to hang around or whether it's him, you know, making a case to, be hired elsewhere. If there's like an overhaul of, of coaching staff, like he just might be saying like, it's not me. (laughs) Or it's not like it's, you know, there are a lot of people to point the finger at, you know, it's like, whether it's, you know, he's pointing it at La Russa because there were murmurs and uh, quotes from people around the organization that it was a very, you know, the the, the decisions bottlenecked with La Russa. The coaches really didn't have a lot of say there wasn't a whole lot of delegation, or it could be the fact that like, the players did not show up or the players were coddled by La Russa and there's nothing like any of the coaches could really do to make a difference. And so it just might be kind of casting a, you know, pointing fingers, but like vaguely, or just kind of maybe, you know, waving his hands and arms, like the, the breadth of the problem and saying like, this is, yeah, a lot of guys need to be held accountable. Not just me, not just, you know, the, not, not La Russa, not, anybody and just, you know, not, not any one person. This really needs, everybody needs to do a lot of soul searching here. And so like maybe when he's going into off season interviews, whether with the white Sox or elsewhere, just to say like, yeah, it was, you know, you know, there were problems, but here were the uh, problems, you know, with uh, pitcher a, and here is the problem with infielder X and, you know, just as a way to say like, yeah, we tried and either players didn't respond or players did not respond because, managers didn't respond. And, you know, that's, I think maybe what he might be getting at if he's not just using a limited, uh, vocabulary based on the shortage of power he actually has. I am going to be paying attention to this word accountable in the upcoming press conferences for the Chicago White Sox, especially the end of year press conference, because Let's say Rick Hahn has another press conference. Let's say Rick Hahn keeps his job, which I, I'm 95% sure that he will, even though I don't think that's a good idea. And if he uses that, well, this upcoming offseason, we're going to be holding people accountable for our failures in 2022. 
I'm hoping somebody that's in that Zoom or is in the press room asks the follow-up question of what do you mean by holding people accountable? Because from Cairo's perspective, when he uses the word accountable, I think it's the players. And if you're going to hold players accountable, are you threatening their job status in 2022? And which players are you threatening their status with the team next year? Because there are some players that are way underachieving, and whether you like it or not, White Sox, they're probably going to be in the same position next year. Uh, So I don't know if you're going to retort to threatening, or I should say resort to threatening them. Like, let's, like, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. like, Yohan Mikata, way underperforming again. And we've mentioned this many times. He's going to be the sixth highest paid third baseman going into 2023. Yasmani Grandal, he had the his worst career season, and he is still going to be one of the highest-paid catchers in Major League Baseball. How do you hold Mikata and Grandal accountable going to 2023? Are you going to threaten their job status? Are you going to bench them? You're going to bench the two guys combined, make $35 million, and they're going to be bench players? Like, how do you mm-hmm. do that? And that that's kind of... The, in my mind, if Cairo's using accountable, I think he's hinting at players. But this is a word that we heard Rick Hahn talked about, that if we don't make the playoffs, people will be held accountable. What does that mean coming from the GM? I'm sure we're going to hear this mm-hmm. word again in the post-mortem uh, press conference for the Chicago White Sox to get their thoughts about what happened in 2022, maybe more firings are coming or personnel changes for the White Sox, and they're going to be saying well, we have to hold people accountable for our failures in 2022. I'm just really confused, and I don't have clarity on what anybody means by accountable. For, but for Miguel Cairo, I think he's talking about the players, but I don't know how you hold some players accountable for the White Sox, especially those that are way underperforming, Jim. It could also be about the front office if it's a case where, like, we had 22-man rosters at times. Like, we were shorthanded. We did not, uh, you know, players were not sent to the injured list. Players were not, um, you know, we we did not receive uh, suitable starters for players who might have been working their way back from injuries or, uh, you know, just, you know, that that could be a case, too, where he's just talking about, like, up top. Uh, You know, why was there not an adult uh, supervising like Michael Kopex, you know, it turns out he had a meniscus tear that he was pitching through. And so like, you look, I, I, I know. I yeah. Can't so just it. like, you know, it might be pointing the finger elsewhere too, like upwards or laterally just to say like, you know, a lot of things went wrong here. And like, there was, it was nobody was, uh, you know, basically steering the boat and uh, it hit something. And, you know, just now here we are, um, you know, looking for help and help might not arrive in time to really, uh, you know, save this rebuild in a meaningful fashion. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think if I'm, you know, thinking about Rick Hahn and him using the word accountability, how can you use the word accountability and still have the same job? Because, you know, it's been 10 years and two winning seasons, two two postseason appearances, but one was a 60 game season where they're running out of steam at the end of 60 games. Like they might, if it were a 162 game season, like would they have finished above 500 that year? Cause they were uh, really gassed by the end of that. So like, yeah, it's one real postseason appearance. Uh, no postseason victories. 
um, you know, one failed rebuild, one rebuild that is taking on water right now. Um, you know, like the, we saw with the Phillies that when their rebuild stalled, they uh, fired Matt Klintak and they brought in Dave Dombrowski to try to like, you know, super solve the job. And I think we can debate what kind of job he's doing, but they definitely said like, we need to get this thing over the top. What's going to, let's bring in like Dombrowski's uh, uh, talent for uh, disregarding the future three years from now to try to maximize the current window and see where it goes. Like that, you know, they, they made a distinct move uh, to shed the status quo to try to uh, get the current rebuild uh, to a place where like it actually resulted in some October runs. So it's a, uh, yeah, it's a word that I just, you know, when I, when I see it, I more or less shrug at it because when you look at who is held accountable this year, it's basically Dallas Keuchel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has just been Dallas Keuchel, hasn't it? Well, we'll see who will be held accountable as the White Sox season is over in just three more games. We'll have more coverage of LaRusse's press conference on SoxMachine.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine for those updates. Jim and I are going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, but coming up next, we will review what happened in San Diego during our meetup and preview the last series of 2022. Is this the last we'll see Jose Abreu in a White Sox uniform? We discuss next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox finished 2022 with a 44-37 and road record. Only if they had played that well at home, maybe we're talking about a White Sox wildcard team. As a White Sox fan, there's not much to look forward to these days. Even this offseason, which will have changes in 2023, may not be all that satisfying. But for those that came out to San Diego this weekend for our last hashtag 108 road trip meetup, along with our friends from the 108, we had a blast. And Jim, I'm already in love with the city of San Diego. If we didn't live in Chicago, we live in San Diego. And Petco Park is awesome. I came away so impressed that I'm debating putting that stadium on the same tier as PNC Park in Pittsburgh and Oracle Park out in San Francisco. I know you've been, and I enjoyed the hell out of that stadium. I liked it. I liked a lot of things about it. I think the one thing keeping it uh, from 
that kind of tier, like top tier, like I would make, yeah, every stadium is basically good now. I mean, that's, that's a tough thing about disgusting stadiums nowadays. Like I think about like all the minor league parks I've been to, like every minor league park is nice. Every major league park is nice. Uh, it, it's, you know, I, I think they're, the distinctions between tiers are getting smaller and smaller. But the one thing I didn't like about it was that the lower deck seemed really carved up into a lot of different sections, a lot of different like pricing tiers and trying to find like a ticket that was for, you know, what level is like, uh, uh, you know, lower deck box line outfield mauve, uh, you know, what price is that, you know, versus the magenta or puce? Like, I just remember looking at the chart and, like, you know, look, trying to get to the seat and just seeing, like, a lot of aisles get cut off and a lot of, like... And to me, like, that just annoys me a little bit in terms of just trying to find tickets, trying to, like, just get to my seat, trying to see if I can change my seat at any point. Like, if it's a sparsely attended game and just, you know... Uh, I, I like more of a open lower bowl for walking around for seeing the whole game as you're walking around it. And that was like the one drawback to me is like that the lower deck seemed really carved up. But in terms of like location neighborhood, like game day vibe of like walking to the game, like getting a drink beforehand and then walking around the stadium and seeing like all the different, you know, food stands, the beer selection, the, the various like public spaces they had inside the park, like all that was great. Um, so I would put it like, you know, in terms of everything else they did, the scoreboard is great. The Western Metal Supply Building is cool. Um, you know, it has a lot of things going for it. I think that was just the one thing keeping me from like a PNC grade. Is like PNC Park is like entirely open lower bowl, except you know, then you, in the outfield you have the bleachers and right and seats and left. But like, just you can walk around it and it feels very open and democratic, and that's how I prefer stadiums to be arranged. The one, the more divisions, the more moats and railings and different seats that require special tickets to get into uh, the, the less I like it. So the things that I really want the next white Sox stadium to have mm -hmm. Gallagher square. So that's a little park beyond center field where the Tony Gwynn statue is. That's an awesome public area. Like we went there on the Friday game. They had their uh, Hispanic heritage weekend and they had this awesome event where you went and you bought drink tickets and you can go to beer stands or you can go to the cocktail stands and get yourself a beverage and listen to music and watch the dancers. And it was, a, as you mentioned, it was a great vibe. It was a great place to go pregame before watching the White Sox and Padres game. That was awesome. The food in the stadium, I'm sorry, White Sox fans, is better than what the White Sox offer. Now, what the White Sox have in general concessions is better than what the Padres have. But the Padres strategy is let's develop relationships and partnerships with local restaurants. And they have food stands in the stadium. And that blows away whatever the White Sox have. I don't think it's even close. And the diversity of food options available at Petco Park is way more vast than the White Sox games. Like, I would get... I'm already a big dude. I would be a much bigger dude if I was a Padre season ticket holder. The food is awesome there. 
the beer options, the breweries have stands, not cooler space. And yes, I am throwing shade at the White Sox. I think that is something that should come into guarantee rate field. Let the Chicago local breweries have beer stands in the stadium rather than just putting their cans in a cooler. I think that's also a pretty big draw. And as you mentioned, Jim, the sight lines where Petco Park is in San Diego. It's got awesome sight lines. I don't know if we will have official meetups every time the White Sox play in San Diego, but I know (laughs) every 15 years, but I know that every time the White Sox play in San Diego, I will be there. And this could be a benefit of the balanced schedule is that it's going to be every other year. The Padres come to Chicago in 2023. So I already know in 2024, I will be in San Diego for that White Sox series. That's how much I really enjoyed watching the games at Petco Park. So if you missed out in going to San Diego for this White Sox series, just put it in your mind right now that you will be going out there in 2024. You will not be disappointed. I promise you that. I cannot promise we'll have an official meetup, but I'll let everyone know where I'll be because I will be there. (laughs) (laughs) How was the uh, turnout? It was a lot better than I expected. Honestly, because when the White Sox out of contention, I just had this sinking feeling that people were going to change their minds or, Mm -hmm. yeah, they'll go out to San Diego, but they don't want to watch any of the White Sox games. There was a lot of White Sox fans in San Diego this weekend, and we went to Bubs at the ballpark, uh, which is on J Street. So for those that know San Diego, I think it's J Street and 8th Street. It's this great sports bar. It's huge. I think someone compared it to Sluggers in the north side of Chicago by Wrigley Field. I think that's an apt comparison. Uh, it's a great place to go for pregame and postgame. They got really good bar food, and they got plenty of beer options. And I want to say at least 40 showed up. Uh, a lot of our podcast listeners uh, showed up. Some people from the good old Southside Sox days, reminiscing when the cheat ran mm-hmm. things. Uh, so long time readers, especially for you, Jim, long time readers of yours uh, were there. Uh, and of course, our friends from the 108, Beef Loaf, Cherizi, they were there to help hold court. Aloha, Mr. Hand, Wally, uh, King Nam, the hot dog eating contest winner uh, from a couple years ago. Uh, just, it was, it was fantastic just to catch up with people. And these are a lot of people were from Phoenix, uh, who don't get to go to Chicago all the time, uh, or they're from Los Angeles. Uh, so they are grateful that, Hey, thanks for coming out to San Diego and hosting this because they, it's harder for them to get to Chicago and they'll talk to you about, you should do something for spring training. You know, one day, uh, we, we can do that. Uh, but it, it was so much fun to, to meet and see new faces, uh, especially for those that have been some of our Patreon supporters and, and longtime podcast listeners. It, it was a lot of fun. Speaking of like Bob Nightingale, I don't know if you read the column uh, that he wrote about Ben Verlander um, doing like the, the Shohei Otani video. I, or, I, I couldn't get through it all. <laughs> yeah, I'll was, be honest okay, with you. I, I couldn't I was, get through it all. I was picturing like, it was great to go to the West Coast and be a voice for people who don't speak up. The White Sox oh fans in gosh. Phoenix and San Diego who, you know, they're, they're soft-spoken and, and, you know, they don't assert themselves as happy. People cried meeting me. Uh, people drove for hours to shake my hand. 
<laughs> you should you should have gone full uh, full Midwest savior uh, for the California masses. No, the the only thing that I would go with that angle is that I don't think the White Sox have been doing a very good job with fan engagement. If you talk to employees of the Chicago White Sox, they know they have not been doing a very good job in fan engagement. But as you know, Jim, based on our conversations, we're and this is a conversation for our listeners. We're pulling the curtain back a little bit. The behind the scenes of what clicks, you know, at Sox Machine and our conversations with our friends from the 108. We do these meetups because it is true. Nobody hates the White Sox more than White Sox fans. But we still, for some weird and terrible reason, love this franchise. And we love following this team. So if they're not going to engage us, well, we might as well engage each other. So Mm -hmm. that's what makes these meetups so much fun is that misery loves company. And I don't know about you guys, but I really do enjoy your company when we get a chance to meet face to face. And that's why we continue to do these things. So I'm not trying to be Ben Verlander and be like, oh, my God, people cried when they finally met me because they've been listening (laughs) to me for 80 years. That that is ridiculous. I can't believe you even went that far. But it is I, I do. I do understand people being very appreciative especially out in san diego for people that live in phoenix now and in la who on twitter and in social media they they see these meetups in chicago or they see them in minneapolis and they get bummed out that they couldn't make it but here we are in san diego that is somewhere i can make it or even maybe for people in the east coast they're like you know what cincinnati's a lot closer you know next year and that's where our meetup is going to be on may 5th or the 7th uh I'll meet you guys in Cincinnati because that's a lot closer for me and I can make it that weekend. So that's why we continue to do these things because the White Sox are not going to up their game. So that's fine. We'll fill in that void to host these, I think, pretty awesome meetups where 40 or hundreds or what we saw in Milwaukee last summer, 400 plus people show up and uh, enjoy each other's company knowing that the common bond we have is that we're all White Sox fans. Yeah, I mean, the way I put it is like, you know, I root for White Sox fans more than I root for the White Sox. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, the way, you know, work, you know, with the writing I do, like, you know, it may sound like I hate the White Sox. And sometimes I do (laughs) like quite a bit, but (laughs) it's mostly because like, you know, a lot of people are going to be bummed by what they do. And that annoys me. So, you know, I I feel like that's my role as much as anything is just like, you know, I have a platform that I've, you know, because I like writing about them so much or like trying to solve their problems so much that, uh, you know, it's like we built up this platform, so we may as well use it to try to raise these problems to whoever might be reading them or listening to them, et cetera. And, you know, basically it's just for trying to make everybody who like, you know, has summers built around enjoying the White Sox, like try to get more out of it or, you know, try to, you know, just, you know, that, that's what so, sucks about this so much about a season like this is like, man, so many, you know, so many plans got ruined. So many, like, even like at the White Sox, so many people's jobs got harder because uh, so many people on the White Sox front office or like, you know, the, the baseball operation side uh, just didn't do their jobs. And so like, you know, the vendors have a harder time, the uh, marketing people, the season ticket reps have a harder time, fans have a hard, like nobody, you know, so many people uh, are on the receiving end, are on the brunt of uh, so many preventable failures on the baseball side. Very much so. Very much so. So again, if you didn't get a chance to meet us up in Minneapolis, you didn't get a chance to meet us, meet us up in San Diego, 
or Milwaukee last year, and you have what the cool kids say, FOMO. Next year, May 5th through the 7th, 2023, our meetup is going to be in Cincinnati. Yes, I hear many of you asking about Denver. I am not going to be available. So you can go to Denver. It's a blast. I had a lot of fun in Denver watching the White Sox and Rocky series. But the official meetup right now is May 5th through the 7th in Cincinnati. And whenever they schedule a White Sox series in Kansas City over a weekend, (laughs) that will be a future meetup location as well. But again, great to meet everyone in San Diego. And uh, I guess we could briefly talk about the games that happened in San Diego. The White Sox won this series by only scoring seven runs total uh, in the three games. Mm -hmm. Anything that caught your attention, Jim, or what you found interesting from this weekend? Uh, You know, it, it seemed like a series where the White Sox showed like how they're going to win if they won. You know, just here's a case where it's like starting pitching. Uh, getting to the back end of a bullpen, which is a pretty good back end of a bullpen. And then you're hoping for just enough offensive firepower. Like you don't expect that firepower coming from Elvis Andrews, you know, who's now uh, second in homers since he's uh, been part of the White Sox only by behind uh, Aloy Jimenez. So yeah, that's a case where just, you know, it's still not working as planned, but at least it's one more series where like the, the parts that, had been functioning, showed up once more. You know, Dylan Cease, unfortunately, had a rough ending to his season. And, you know, not that he was going to win the Cy Young with a good start anyway, but just, you know, it would have been nice for, ha- for him to, like, maybe try to get that ERA under two or to, uh, you know, set a, a personal strikeout mark. And didn't quite get there, but still, great season. Uh, but Davis Martin, you know, he had the start that we hoped he would have as this, you know, really pleasant success story but yeah i was happy also to see carlos perez just look like a normal catcher like he <laughs> you know missed a home run by a little bit um you know didn't really uh, show up in the box score but like block pitches caught some games uh you know that that were uh you know good on the run prevention side made some good throws so like he had the disastrous debut which i was hoping that wouldn't be like his only game he played behind the plate because i know he's better than that I, yeah i've seen him play in the minors a lot and i know that like that's not him and so it's nice to see a couple games where he just looks like a normal third catcher with maybe backup catcher potential down the road my takeaway other than davis martin being awesome and i was at that game And he looked terrific. And speaking to other Padres fans, they were asking a lot of questions about who is this guy? Uh, Because he's really good. That I'm hope I know Davis Martin's got staying power, Jim. And we'll do podcast player reviews during the entire offseason. Davis Martin will have a specific episode, so we'll dive more into this conversation later. But I think Davis Martin has staying power. My takeaway is I am quite worried about the Padres. If you are a Padres fan, I just don't know how this postseason is going to go because this offense, it sputters like the White Sox offense, Jim. Mm -hmm. And when they hit home runs like they did Saturday off of Dylan Cease, they hit three home runs in that game with Manny Machado hitting a home run off Jake Diekman. Jake Diekman's awesome, by the way. (laughs) The Padres offense looks great. But if they're not hitting home runs, there's no offense. Mm-hmm. And we know ball go far, team go far in the postseason. So San Diego has the power potential. They just don't tap in that potential often. 
And the spot that they're currently in right now where they're going to be this fifth seed and they're going to play the the loser between the Mets and Braves and an East race, like, I got a bad feeling. It's such a bad feeling. I think they're going to get swept. I think they're going to lose two games, the first two games of that series uh, in the opening round. And they're going to have even more questions or, you know, going into 2023, like, what are we doing here? Like, we are investing a lot of resources into this team. And they still haven't won a postseason game since the 2020 COVID short year. So there's there's going to be a lot of questions in San Diego if they don't show up in the postseason. And honestly, if they fail in the postseason, it's because of the offense. I like the defense. I'm in love with Jake Cronenworth. I wish he was on the Chicago White Sox because that's the type of player the White Sox need right now, especially at second base. I think he'd be a great fit. They do. They have really good pitching. It's just the offense is not there right now for San Diego, and I think they are a real threat to getting swept in the first round. Yeah, I was surprised to see that they're comparable with the White Sox in terms of power, knowing that Manny Machado is having a great year. You know, 30 homers, 100 RBIs, genuine MVP candidates. And, you know, when you see him having that year and seeing the Padres still languishing uh, bottom half of home runs, then you look at the home run totals as they're coming up to the plate and realize, like, oh, like all these guys would be in competition for the White Sox team lead. There isn't like that secondary power source. And Juan Soto has been a disappointment since he came over. Uh, you know, and, you know, disappointment for him is still like nearly a 400 OBP, but still like the power hasn't been there. And Josh Bell has been a disappointment. So it's just, you know, they've, they've tried. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of the twins. Like the twins, I thought had like a good, uh, trade deadline and none of those guys helped. And it's kind of the same thing with the Padres. Like, Great deadline paper. Um, Brandon Drury is like the power guy, like, which is weird, you know, out of all the players that they've acquired, like he's the guy hitting homers. And, you know, I guess it's kind of like Elvis Andrews doing the same thing for the White Sox. Well, let's now move ahead to the final series of 2022. We just have three games left to go in this season for the Chicago White Sox. And they'll be playing against the Minnesota Twins. This originally was the opening series of the 2022 season. But because of the lockout, these games got moved to this week. And for those wondering about attendance, you might be shocked on how big of an attendance number is announced on Monday. Because this was originally opening day for 2022. Hmm. So when it comes to tickets sold... Don't be surprised if announced attendance is more than 36,000. Just keep in mind, because when people bought their tickets for this season, this was opening day. So we'll hmm. see in how many of those 30 plus thousand fans actually attend this game. But this was originally opening day that got pushed back to this week. And the Minnesota Twins are 77 and 82 this year. They've lost the last two games. They are 50 and 66 in their last 116 games, Jim. That's how bad it's been for the Minnesota Twins. And in their last 10 games, they are four and six. The Twins do have the season series so far. They are nine and seven against the White Sox. But if the White Sox sweep, they can win the season series against the Minnesota Twins. Your pitching probables for this series, Monday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time, Johnny Cueto will make his last start with the White Sox against Bailey Ober. Tuesday night, 7-10 again. This is Josh Winder against Lucas Giolito. 
and the final day of the regular season, all games will be played at the same time. This is a 3.10 p.m. Central Time start for the White Sox. It's Louis Varland for the Twins against the Dart, Davis Martin. And Jim, the most asked about question regarding this series for the White Sox, are these the last games in a White Sox uniform for Jose Abreu? I'm going to say yes. It just seems like, given Abreu's non-committal stance towards uh, you know, re-signing with the White Sox, and, and certainly you know he, he's not uh, signing himself the way he did the last time he was entering a contract year. Like it, it, there's a lot of writing on the wall, not with him necessarily, although you know the the power evaporating is a part of it. Like if he's going to be a 300 hitter who, you know, hits mostly singles and doubles, like the White Sox aren't the team for him in the park they play in. So, you know, that's not necessarily a great fit. You know, they have Andrew Vaughn, they have Aloy Jimenez, they have like a whole bunch of guys who are right-handed and need to uh, get to first base or DH. So based on that and like, say like Yuan Mankata having the season he's having with Abreu there, Luis Robert having his up and downs with Abreu there, like you can't really point to any kind of leadership skills that Abreu has that are going to be essential for the operation of this team. Like it's, I'm not saying Makata is, is his fault. Like it just reminds me a little bit of Paul Konerko. I was like, yeah, his leadership is essential. The White Sox couldn't be what they are without Konerko. And like, you realize like, well, they, they haven't made the postseason since uh, 2008. And like, you know, Gordon Beckham was under his wing and he's been a disappointment. You just realize like leading by example only goes so far when, players aren't as talented as Jose Abreu. So I think, uh, you know, his time has uh, more or less, you know, come to an end, I think, on the White Sox. And it's been a hell of a career, if that is what it is. Like, uh, and and I'm going to save, like, the ultimate recap until, like, you know, he actually signs somewhere else because I don't trust the White Sox to move on. We saw the White Sox sign... Paul Konerko for the farewell tour and probably cost themselves seeing what Marcus Semyon was all about because they used that roster spot for Konerko all year long. But, um, you know, the, I, I think there is a way for Abreu to come back. And so I'm not going to like, you know, um, write or really talk about Abreu's career until it's officially over, but like, it's not his fault. Like whatever happens, like whatever, um, you know, wherever the White Sox end up, wherever the White Sox have to go for first base in DH, like, and if he ends up going somewhere else, like it's nothing he did wrong. He aged beautifully. Like the contract he signed was like a great deal. Um, everybody should feel good about the way Jose Breu, uh, performed and conducted himself. And, uh, it's a shame that he can't reap the benefits of how well he played for the White Sox. If this is where it ends. And, I hope that the fans who are there like recognize it like and just, you know, I remember being in the park um, for AJ Pierzynski's last uh, series with the White Sox and last game with the White Sox. And like he got standing ovations every time he came and played. I think he played half the game and like just fans knew and it was a nice career, a nice run. And uh, he got the uh, salute and I'm hoping that fans, you know, do the same thing because even if he does come back, like. Hey, it's cool. Like Jose Abreu still played really well for a team that, uh, uh, you know, didn't deserve his, uh, you know, the effort he gave him, uh, you know, or is that the effort that he gave the White Sox could have been used in a whole bunch of other teams put to better use. So, um, you know, whatever the case, he should be saluted for the year that he had. Absolutely. And I think that is something that for the fans that do attend, 
in this uh, any of these three games at home, even though, yes, you hate the White Sox right now, this would be a good time just in case to say goodbye to Jose Abreu in a White Sox uniform. I think it would be worthwhile to give him those standing ovations and just one last time and you know, for him, for fans to, to cheer on Jose Abreu because we really don't know what's next for Jose Abreu. There's a lot for him to weigh. I mean, he is still a productive player. He's still going to be in the major leagues. But if the White Sox don't have certainty in which direction they're going to go, and he's lived through this multiple times uh, mm-hmm. being part of the White Sox organization, that if another contending team needs help at first base, he should really listen to them because he is not young anymore. He understands that he is getting older and he's done everything he could with the White Sox. Now in his next stage of his career, it's getting that opportunity to make it to the World Series. And I think that's going to weigh most heavily with Jose Abreu is which team, which opportunity would give me the best shot of reaching the World Series. A couple of years ago, he thought it was with the White Sox, and I understand mm-hmm. why he thought that. But now, after 2022, it's probably not the White Sox. And we'll see what happens this upcoming offseason and the free agency for Jose Abreu. And we have seen other White Sox legends been told by Jerry Reinsdorf that he's not going to outbid other teams for you. Mark Burley's a great case of that. Uh, so this wouldn't be the first time that a, a White Sox legend, someone that will have their number retired, <laughs> uh, is told that the White Sox are not going to outbid other teams. And if he wants to return, this is the deal, and it's going to be lower what other teams offer. Yeah, it's, you know, I always think about like Paul Konerko hits the Grand Slam in the World Series, gives uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, Reinsdorf the final out, and he has to accept the lesser offer to re-sign with the White Sox afterwards. Like the Orioles, I believe, offered him more. Uh, to sign with Baltimore, and he has a lesser deal to sign with the White Sox. So, yeah, uh, he should have kept the ball. Anyway, uh, <laughs> when it comes to, um, you know, one thing I'm, I'm watching for the series is that if they draw 19,000 and some over the course of three, average 19,000 and some over the three games, they'll top 2 million in attendance. Uh, I was curious, uh, the Cleveland Guardians... They might have a hard time. Let's see. They're at they're at 1.2 million, 1.22 million for uh, this Guardians team. And you know, I always understand they're like there's a year after effect. Like the the big attendance swell comes the year after a surprising success. So like you know, you don't look at a 700,000 fan disparity and say like, wow, Indians fans or sorry, Guardians fans don't show up. Um, they were bummed out. You know, the season ticket base was bummed out by the lack of investment in the Guardians roster. And, you know, they're, they're showing up now. They're excited about the team, but it just took a while for the excitement to build. But, you know, I always, you know, whenever fans talk about like, oh, you don't want another White Sox owner because they might move the team. It's like the ownership of Major League Baseball will look at Chicago and say like, you know, for all you know, the the stuff the White Sox put their fans through, they're still going to draw two million. Like the Guardians, uh, coming off a year where like they were theoretically going to be an above five hundred team, yeah, they're they're a team on the upswing even if they weren't there yet. Like they're going to draw one point two. So it's just like 
Yeah, there are a whole bunch of unhealthier markets. The only reason the South Side of Chicago is unhealthy is because the White Sox are unhealthy. Like they, they operate their team in a very unhealthy fashion that should be uh, duplicated and emulated by nobody. And you know, any yeah, if an owner comes over and 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 you know, buys a team from the White Sox, like with you. Know, relatively deep pockets, whether it's like a, you know, not even a Steve Cohen type, like a John Sherman type or something like that. Like the White Sox will be fine. If they draw 2 million in a season like this, they'll be fine. I agree. They may have to pay a little more rent because they drew more than 2 million according to their current lease agreement with the state of Illinois, but it's good. I mean, White Sox fans for the most part showed up this year and We'll see how that works out in 2023. <laughs> they were punished for it. <laughs> they most certainly were. Most certainly were. Hopefully the White Sox play some good baseball at home because I can't I can't make sense of why they're so much better on the road this year than they're at home. But these last three home games, maybe Jose Bray's last three home games with the White Sox against the rival of the Minnesota Twins, hopefully that sparks more entertaining baseball than what it has been at home for the Chicago White Sox to end the 2022 season. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered us, you could follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You could follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. And on that topic, there's about more than 2,000 people who follow me than the Sox Machine account. If you're one of those 2,000 people, can you please take a moment and follow at Sox Machine, please? Uh, so Jim can catch up to me because he should be where I'm at or surpassing me so we can uh, unlock uh, additional features within Twitter. So let's try to get Sox Machine, that Twitter account, up to 10,000 people, please. So uh, 10,000 followers, I should say. So tell your friends and tell your family. I don't clog your feed. <laughs> I won't clog your feed. I'm very nice yeah, about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so again, yeah. follow Socks Machine on Twitter at Socks Machine. If you enjoy your work and you want more, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash Socks Machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2. You can save with an annual subscription Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash machine. And a couple of updates on that front. Uh, one is that with Josh being in a hotel room right now, I want to minimize his editing work. So P.O. Socks will be a Patreon exclusive mailbag on SocksMachine.com this week. So if you are a supporter of Socks Machine on Patreon or are thinking about it, uh, the, the P.O. Socks mailbag will be on uh, Socks Machine, but exclusive to supporters. Also, like as we go into the off season, uh, PO Socks will shift to a text-only format. You know, over the course of the winter, because the podcast schedule is more is abbreviated. So that's a way to keep the the questions and answers flowing. Also, on the merch front, uh, the next batch of merch, a brand new item, should be showing up this week, and I'm looking forward to uh, telling everybody about it. Just you know, before I tip it, I just want to make sure this is a brand new product for us. So. I want to make sure that the product in hand is as good as it looked in the uh, you know, photos being uh, emailed back and forth and the markups before. Like, just want to confirm that uh, you know the 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 concept transferred into a tangible product. But I'm very excited about it. I am too. I am too. So again, you can sign up to become a Patreon supporter at patreoncom 
slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.